If you'll turn at your, in your Bibles at this time to the book of Philippians chapter 1, our scripture reading, our text will come from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. As our focus this morning, we'll be uh, giving thanks to God for His church, His people. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The scriptures read, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in, my, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Let's bow together in prayer before we begin our study. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your holy word. We pray, God, may it be divided correctly for your glory, and may it edify and encourage. May it bless, and may you grant to us understanding that you, O Father, might be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, as I mentioned, we're celebrating the goodness of God and the payoff of our facility mortgage. And many of you know, as you've seen, we've been meeting, we were meeting in a school for about 21 years before moving here. But even as Vern mentioned in this beautiful church itself, the church is people much more than a building. The church is made up of people, God's people. And one of the greatest blessings in my life has been God's church. I remember growing up in the church as a little boy, like many of the children who are here, running around in the basement and memorizing scripture. I remember singing and crafts and games and retreats, outings, playing ping pong in the basement. They had a pool table there, as well as one of those old-style pool Coke machines. You could buy a Coke for 35 cents, and eating goldfish crackers just like the kids still do today. And for me, the church has always been a second family. It's the family in which I've been blessed with many friends, 
blessed, as many of you are, with support, encouragement, blessed with the scriptures being taught, blessed because it's in the context of which I've been able to grow in the Lord, as well as many of you have been able to grow in maturity, and the joy of seeing God change lives, to use the gifts God has granted to me, to use the gifts God has granted to you in the context of his church and a healthy church body has been a blessing in a multitude of ways. There are many memories that flood my own mind as I think about the church, just as Tom and Vern had reflected even for the past years. And I'm grateful for God's church. And I would hope that all believers would have that same love for God's church it is the only institution in the New Testament God has promised to bless. It is God's church, God's people. And God's people are, make up the church. Some see the church as merely as an institution. Some see the church as there to serve them. Some see the church as some social club where they go to have their needs met. Or some see, them, some see the church as simply a building. But as I've shared the blessings of my experiences with a family that was looking for a church to settle in, I challenged them not to church hop, not to go around from church to church, moving here and there every so often, because it was my desire for them to be able to find a church where they can grow a church where they can serve, a church where they can have roots in, a church where they can raise their family, a church that they will enjoy a lifetime as well as their children enjoy a lifetime of friendships and positive memories and the fellowship of the body of Christ. It would be my hope that they would find that sense of family in a church wherever they settle in and not just a church that they attend on Sundays. Because the church is a family, it is the body of Christ, and it's even bigger beyond the walls of this church. Our Christian life is more than about ourselves. It's about being a part of a redeemed community of believers all around the world. I think to myself, someday I will be able to stand with the Congolese brothers that I've met or those who are Filipino Christians who were in jail, or those Cambodian brothers and sisters, or those Hondurans that I worshipped with, when we stand before the throne of grace, that we stand and worship together, that there will be a sea of people, as far as the eye can see, of people from every tongue and tribe and nation gathered for the worship of God and the lifting up of His glory. Standing side by side with them serving God, and that is what I look forward to, because the church is worldwide, as God has children all around the world. So it's always a joy for me to meet other Christians wherever I have been, whenever I've traveled, because there's a kindred spirit with them. There's a kindred spirit. It doesn't matter to me whether or not they are mature or immature. It doesn't matter to me whether they're newborn or whether they're young or old or whatever culture they're in. Meeting someone who is a genuine believer is a sweet, sweet time of fellowship. They're my brother. They're my sister in Christ. They are part of my family. And this letter is that which Paul expresses to the Philippians, his gratitude for them 
that they are a part of God's family, they're partakers of God's grace, and he has tremendous joy as he thinks about them. It's gratitude that is beyond expectations and rises above the circumstances in life in which we can say, wow, praise God for his church, praise God for his people, Praise God that God continues to work in people's lives to cause them to grow. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstance we are in personally, we give thanks to God for His church and the preciousness of God's church. Paul himself, at the time of the writing of this letter, was in very difficult circumstances. He wrote this letter while he was a prisoner in Rome, chained to a guard 24 hours a day under house arrest. He had trusted in Christ some 30 years earlier or so. In an amazing way, as we've looked at the book of Acts, when he was on his way to Damascus on the Damascus Road, there was a light that shone from heaven. And God, in his grace, saved Paul, a vindictive and angry man bent on destroying the church. And yet, God, by his grace and his power, saved him. Since his conversion, his life was filled with trials, with suffering. Since his conversion, he preached boldly in Damascus. When even though the Jewish population sought to kill him, he had to escape, as we saw and see in Acts 9, from the wall by night. He was forced to flee then to Iconium after that in the book of Acts. And then he was almost stoned in Lystra. And then when he went to Philippi, to the city in which he writes this letter to, he was beaten and he was thrown in jail. And he was driven then from Thessalonica later on after a riot started. He arrived in Berea after Thessalonica and he was forced to run again because some of the brethren came down. He was mocked, he was ridiculed in Athens by the Greeks. He was hauled before the Roman proconsul in Corinth. And then after that, he faced Jews and rioting Gentiles at Ephesus. Acts 20, he had to change travel plans because there was a plot against his life. And even though he, by prophecy, found out that he would be in bonds and afflictions that awaited him in Jerusalem, he went. And in Jerusalem, angry Jews recognized him. He was savagely beaten by a mob in Acts 21. He was imprisoned and arrested in this case, and his case in court dragged on for two years, two years, through two Roman governors, and he appealed to Caesar. And on his journey to Rome after his appeal to Caesar, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a poisonous snake, and he finally made it to Rome. After four years in Roman custody under house arrest, here he was, writing about how grateful he was how thankful he was, how full of joy he was for the lives of the Philippians. Talk about the life of a missionary. If you publicize that as part of a job description, I wonder how many would apply. All of this doesn't sound like the easy life that an average Jew would want. The average Jew would want perhaps a nice brick home in Jerusalem a thriving personal business, a stable family, many children, and a good standing in the local synagogue, that would have been the ideal. Much like people have a dream, the American dream today. Well, 
God calls us to ministry. But maybe it's difficult for you and I to relate, but imagine, can you imagine all of these things happening to you, that your life would be a life that would be one on the run, that you would be called to say things that offend many simply because it is the truth, and as you do, they abuse you? Would you find joy? Would you be thankful if someone came to your home to practice their graffiti? Or you walked outside today, go home only to discover your car has been stolen, or for you to go to work and you're demoted at work because of your faith, or maybe you even lost your job, or you discover that you and your family are being stalked, threatened because you are a Christian. Would you still be full of joy and gratitude? Many people lose their joy at even the smallest of things and are not grateful Someone says the wrong thing, someone looks at them the wrong way, poof, their joy is gone. But for Christians, as Paul expresses his gratitude, as Paul expresses his joy, it is a joy that rises above the circumstances because it is an internal joy. It is an internal gratitude towards God for what God is doing in the unseen realm among his people. And true joy and true thanksgiving come despite one's circumstances in life because it is an abiding sense of peace with God, knowing that one is walking with God, that God is in control, that God has orchestrated these circumstances to come to pass. So how can we have such a perspective? How can we have such a perspective Well, it begins, as Paul displays for us, by having the right attitude, by having the right perspective. Oftentimes, we can't change our circumstances, but we can control our attitude and our perspective. And that is what Paul displays for us here in verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bronze servants or slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He describes himself as a doulos, a bondservant, one who is willing, one who is determined, one who is devoted to following Jesus Christ. The attitude of a servant, the attitude of a bondservant in the Old Testament was that he forsook his freedom and became a slave of his master for life. Exodus 21, 5 and 6 tells us that attitude. But if the slave, it says, plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him permanently. This is what a Christian is. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave or a bondservant to Christ. And if we're to be grateful and if we're to rejoice always, there must be a humility of heart and mind, seeing that we are undeserving sinners and undeserving servants. The problem that people face who are ungrateful is because they often have a sense of entitlement which is so very common today, that somehow God owes, God owes something to me, material blessings, an easy life, a wonderful family, a great job, 
We won't get what we want. When things don't go our way, we say, well, God, we tried it your way, and now I'm going to get what I want my way. God hasn't promised us an easy life, but he has promised to help us to have joy and peace despite our circumstances, to have a heart that's filled with thanksgiving, even in the midst of difficulty, as Paul experiences here. He was first and foremost devoted to Christ, not devoted to a building, not devoted to a spouse or a parent or a family member who's committed to Christ, who drags us along. He was devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that attitude of humility as a servant to do whatever would please the Lord Jesus brought great joy despite what he was going through. And his thanksgiving overflowed into his prayer, in which we will see in the rest of this text, his thanksgiving for the Philippians in three particular ways. He was thankful for their ministry, for their participation in the gospel, verse 5. He was thankful that they would grow for their growth, their perfection in Christ. And he was thankful for the church, that they were partakers of God's grace. Those three areas in particular, and we will look at his attitude of thanksgiving. I thank my God, he says, in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. In his memory, he thanked God. He thanked God. His heart was filled with thanksgiving. What would have been in the mind of Paul that gave him cause for giving thanks? I can think of a few things. Remember when he first went to Asia Minor, when he first went to Macedonia, I should say, he met a group of women who had gathered to pray. And in that group, there was a woman named Lydia. And the Lord opened her heart, it says in Acts 16, 14, to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. She and her household were the very first Christian converts in Europe and became that continent's first church. She asked Paul to be her guest, and her generosity and hospitality characterized that church for years to come. Maybe he thought of God's power. You remember, too, when he was in Philippi, there was a a girl that kept following him and Silas, a demon-possessed girl, and she would say, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And Paul turned, he cast out that demon. He probably remembered the slave girl's owners who weren't all too happy now that she was in her sound mind. Perhaps he thought of the Philippian jailer who, when he and Silas were in stocks, they weren't bitter, they weren't angry, they weren't upset. Rather, they sang songs of praise and God used that situation to bring about the salvation of the Philippian jailer. Or perhaps he was recalling their support for his missionary efforts. He remembered the Philippian church. The church was the only one though they were impoverished, to help him financially after he left Macedonia. All of these things he thought about the Philippian church, and it gave him cause for giving thanks. His heart was filled with thanksgiving. His heart was filled with joy. He remembered the things that God had done and seeing how God had worked all things out for good and His glory. It reminds us, 
this Thanksgiving weekend, especially to have a heart that is thankful. One commentator writes, quote, having a genuine desire to remember and focus on the goodness, kindness, and successes of others does not involve denying their weaknesses and shortcomings, but rather looks past them. The Holy Spirit prompts believers to appreciate others' love, generosity, and compassion, and to forget the rest. On the other hand, a person who constantly focuses on the negatives, faults, shortcomings, and slights of others is a person not controlled by the Holy Spirit and is perhaps an unbeliever. Bitterness, resentment, a critical spirit, holding grudges, and the like are works of the flesh, not of the Spirit. Unquote. Paul, his focus was on all that God had done. I thank my God in all my remembrance, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, Paul didn't have these memories simply because the church at Philippi was perfect by no means. That church was not perfect. He didn't thank God, oh, thank the Lord. They're such a wonderful, perfect church. They did all of these wonderful things. In fact, there was conflict in that church. That church was being attacked by false teachers. They faced persecution. Yet Paul could look beyond all of that to give thanks, to give thanks and pray with great joy and gratitude towards God to overlook the things that are false. How is your own perspective? How is your own perspective? Is it filled with joy and gratitude towards God, overlooking those things which are negative and focusing on the goodness and the power of God, the grace of God? Well, he gives thanks First of all, for their participation in the gospel. Verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what he wrote that he was grateful for. In view of their participation. The Philippians have been concerned about Paul. They gave, even though he was poor, they sent a gift through Epaphroditus, you might recall. And it is perhaps that reference to that gift, it is from the first day until now, that's perhaps what it referred to. They had been involved in the gospel ministry. They had been involved in serving God. So many of you serve, even the Lord here in this local church. Some of you have great responsibilities. Some of you have lesser responsibilities. But it's not so much about the amount that one serves. What matters is the motive and the fact that one is using their gifts in the body of Christ. It is a joy. It is a joy for many of us who are elders and deacons to see the significant percentage of people who serve the Lord in the ministry somehow, in some way, pitching in, using their gifts so that the body might be built up. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 7 tells us there are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And it says, but to each one, that is each believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
We have been granted gifts by the Holy Spirit for the common good so that we can bring about good and the body of Christ. Serving is not for us. It's for the common good and the glory of God. We don't say, well, I'll serve God later on when I'm retired or when my children are out of the house. We don't say that. We serve along the way. We don't say, well, you know what, I'll serve God. Or we don't look back and say, I did that when I was young and single. It is God who has granted to us gifts to use for the body of Christ. And it brings about great joy. It brings about great thanksgiving. It brings about great satisfaction even in your life. Bernard Rimland, director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research, in a study that was done among people, the principle of the golden rule found that, quote, the happiest people are those who help others. The study was to ask people who were part of it to list ten people that they knew best, and to label them as happy or unhappy. Then they were going through the list again and label each one as selfish or unselfish, using the following definition of selfishness. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interests and welfare, an unwillingness to inconvenience one's self for others. And he found that all of the people labeled happy were also labeled unselfish. He wrote that those, quote, whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. And he concluded, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Funny how there's a side benefit to what God commands in bringing us joy even as we serve others being inconvenienced when we sacrifice our time, our energy, our resources for the common good. We do it in obedience to God, and there is that benefit that God blesses us with joy. It is a joy to see so many come out for a church work day or to serve in various areas of the ministry to inconvenience themselves for the common good. But secondly, Paul is grateful, not only for their participation in the ministry, but he is grateful for their perfection in Christ, for their growth in Christ. For I am confident, verse 6, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is working in you. God is working to conform you into the image of Christ. He is making you more holy through His Word, through the Spirit of God as we submit ourselves to Him. He brings trials into our life in order to make us more like Himself so that you will be more like Christ and one day He will bring it to completion and perfection in heaven. You know, one of the happiest memories parents have of their children or for their children to graduate from high school or graduate from college after years of hard work, all of that sweat, all of that time helping them figure out those math problems, help them correct their grammar or understand what the teacher is asking, all of those hours and now at the very end they've earned a degree that will open doors of opportunity for them. 
See balloons and food, parties are thrown, graduation diplomas are handed out. For the Christian life too, we have a lifetime of learning that God is trying to teach us in the school of life that He spends hours and hours and hours every day investing in us so that we will be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the wonderful thing is, is that as a Christian, no one ever flunks out. No one ever flunks out. No one ever ultimately fails because God will guarantee that He will bring it to perfection, that He will glorify us in the end, and that is great encouragement because no matter how much you may feel that you may have failed or maybe you don't measure up or whatever it is, it is God who works in you and it is God who will bring it to completion and you will be that person that God has intended you to be when He glorifies you someday. The life that we live as students of God are not easy. No matter what life you have, as God continues to whittle away at our heart and the idols within our heart, God will complete that work. And Paul has great joy. Paul has great joy in all of that. The third thing, the third thing that Paul gives thanks for is that they are partakers of God's grace. Verse 7, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of God's grace with me. They were Christians. They were partakers of God's grace. And when we are partakers of God's grace, we are part of a church, we are part of a church family, we are blessed to be a part of that, and we take great joy in that. And our heart goes out to those who are suffering, our heart goes out in joy to those who rejoice. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 tells us if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members of, uh, are honored with it or rejoice with it. And that's what it means to be a part of a church family. One body in Christ as brothers and sisters in the Lord to really love our neighbor as ourself. And there's celebration and we celebrate together. Where there's pain, we feel pain. Where there's joy, we rejoice because we are of one body, because we care about one another. What a joy it is. When I was in Honduras and, and had the opportunity to go and worship with these Hondurans, all of the songs were similar, most of them I should say, were similar to the ones we would sing here, except they were all in Spanish. I, didn't, I don't know Spanish. And so I sang with them because you could kind of sound out the words and, and I, would, I would worship with them. And what a joy it was to hear their heartfelt praise to God as they sang. And they sang with great joy. And in the morning when I would wake up on that, on that seminary campus and there were students, there would be students who would wake up early and they would be singing. And I would hear their voices raised in praise to God each and every morning that I woke up there. Did I understand everything? No, but I knew that they were my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they were a part of God's church, and I could rejoice in that. Whether we know them very well or not, they are partakers of God's grace. It makes no difference whether we meet somebody at work or at school or our neighbor 
who's a Christian, there's a great joy when we meet somebody, even if it's for a short period of time. I was on a flight flying home, and I was sitting next to a Montana state senator, and I found out he was a Christian. He was reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, you know, and we had a great time of fellowship, of course, discussing politics, and I appreciated his biblical perspective on things. And even when I was standing in line at the customs, going into the immigration and customs in Honduras, there was another Christian medical missionary team there, and being able to talk with them, and it was great just meeting brothers and sisters in the Lord and knowing more about them and saying, hi, my name's such and such, what are you up to? And all of that sort of a thing. What a joy it is to meet others in the body of Christ because they are partakers of God's grace. Paul can say, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he prays with great joy in verses 9 through 11. And I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things which are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a great prayer. He prays that they would grow in the knowledge of Christ, in real knowledge. This is the knowledge that deepens our love for God. That's the kind of knowledge that this is speaking of. And discernment, spiritual discernment of perception, of insight, applying God's word, being discretionary, so that they might be able to Approve the things which are excellent, the ability to discern what is beneficial to one's spiritual life. Is that what you pray for your kids? Do you pray that they might be knowledgeable in the Word of God, that they might be discerning as to what is good and wise and best, not pushing the boundaries and asking, oh, well, the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, must be okay then if I do this, when really it may not be wise. Do you pray that they might be wise and discerning? They pray that they might grow in their knowledge of the love of God? God desires all of these things, and His prayer for them is for their good and their holiness, not their happiness. He prays that they would be blameless. And that is our prayer, too, for one another in this church. So let me ask, in your own heart, in your own heart during this Thanksgiving season, are, are you genuinely, are you genuinely thankful and filled with joy despite your circumstances? Despite what may be happening deep down, do you have that joy? The joy that stems from God, that makes your heart smile, causes your attitude to rise above the circumstances of our life. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Mere Christianity, a car is made to run on petrol or gas and would not run properly on anything else. Now God has designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way 
without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. There's no joy without the Spirit of God, without the Word of God. There's no genuine happiness. So when we think about God and His Word and His work here in this church and giving gratitude for His people, we can give thanks for their ministry and how others serve. We give thanks for the worship team and for those who serve in the children's ministry and all others. We give thanks that God has blessed us to be a part of a family, a church. And we give thanks and take tremendous joy. And we take tremendous joy at the very fact that God will continue to work and conform us and perfect us until the day of Christ Jesus. And we can give thanks despite our circumstances and give glory to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so very grateful for this body who is here, for these people, your people, your church. And Father, we come because you have redeemed us by the great sacrifice of your Son. And Father, may we look not at the temporal, but at the eternal, and that our joy might be full our gratitude might be great because of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.